0: Well this morning we are uh, privileged to continue our journey through the book of Psalms and as we journey through that book we arrive at one of the Psalms that contains uh, a beautiful a beautiful display of God's glory Psalm 19 and it's a Psalm in which God comes to us and says this is how you know me and just i want you to just think about how do we know one another what is it that we use to know one another? I remember when I grew up and went in my vacation in the village where my mother grew up, people used to sit on a bench in front of their homes, and you will pass by and you will, you will sit down to talk with them or just go closer to them and spend maybe five, ten minutes talking and chatting. But today, all of that is replaced by what we call social media, I think, right? All of us, almost all of us, are some way or another connecting one another and getting to know people through social media. And uh, if you say, today, how do we know people? That's how we know people. We go and we check their social media. If we meet somebody new and we say, well, I'm not sure that I know this person. Can I find out more about this this gentleman or this doctor or this this person that is working on me or this sales salesperson? We check all of these things. And I'm not sure if you notice, but the more we get into this social media platforms, the the less access our kids want, you know, because they want to hide from, from us, you know, as parents. They want to say, well, if you come on Facebook, and I will go on Instagram. If you come on Instagram, then we'll go on, on other platforms that it's harder to, uh, to find them. But we discover what people look like. We try to know each other by going, and we're looking at each other's walls, like right? we, uh, we look at their pictures, and just glancing a few days ago, you know, at, at my... Uh, social media, Facebook, I saw people say, well, you know, they start to say, well, we post things about ourselves. Well, this was a crazy week from our family, what somebody said, right? And then they describe why it was a crazy week. And you start to know them better, right? Because you see, oh, this is what they struggle. This is what happened. And then somebody said, well, my car was total our car. We, we got into this problem with the car, with the engine and stuff like that. And maybe some says, you know, we are enjoying we are enjoying the national parks. This is our vacation time where other people are, are camping by Lake Michigan or other lakes, interior lakes. And beautiful things that they do. And we say, oh, this is how we know each other. We go on our social media, on our walls. We look at what we post to know each other better. And I want you to think of God this morning as displaying on His media two songs by which we can know Him. They are like poems, you know, like lyrics And one is the song of nature, and the one is the song of the law of the Lord. And God is revealing to us, He is discovering who He is to these two things. You know, just just think about this summer, this coming summer, nature is going to display something very interesting. Do you know that in August 21, we are going to have a solar eclipse? And what's interesting is, you know, when there is a solar eclipse, the moon basically comes between the sun and our earth, and there is that that umbra or that shadow, a full shadow of the moon on the earth and it travels, right? And if you want to look at the path of this shadow, it just crosses North American continent, right? And if you zoom in closer, it just this is the and the scientists and everybody else they, they say, and I know I have friends who have already reserved hotel rooms so that they can follow the full eclipse. And if you want to maybe reserve one of the hotel rooms right there, you will find that they are already reserved because people are very passionate. This doesn't happen too often. It's very rare that it happens. And and it looks like this, right? It looks like this. The full it comes in grades, and then it's some suddenly is the full moon eclipse. I mean, solar eclipse, full solar eclipse. The moon is basically covering the light of the sun. Now, because we are in Michigan, we are kind of north of the full. Uh, solar eclipse, so we will not see those three stages. We will just see the others because we are in Michigan, like I said, or if you're not right there. But we can still enjoy the total solar eclipse. The, the longest time that we will see the full solar eclipse is 2 minutes and 41 seconds. When we will see the sun, just like in that picture. But you have to be in that, in that spot where is the path of the total solar eclipse. Now some people say this is just nature at its best, right? And Psalm 19 says, no, it's more than nature. It is the creator showing and displaying something about himself. And we as Christians, I think, we can say, yes, that is, that is what's happening here. And Psalm 19 basically is it's portraying these songs, God's songs in a culture that is out of tune. Most of the people in this world will say, this is just Mother Nature giving us something beautiful to display. Psalm 19 says, no, it's not Mother Nature. Psalm 19 says, it is the glory of God, and is God on display of His beauty and His power. So this morning I invite you to do something different, and we are going to read Psalm 19 like there are two songs, Okay. And I want this side of the church to read, to read the first six verses. And then there's the first song, the song of creation. And this side of the church, I want us to read the following six verses from, from seven on. And then the last three verses, we are going to read them together. How about that? Would you, would you like to uh, try and see how it goes? So um, we start with this side. And would you mind just standing up? It's like in the Hebrews, you know, when they were singing deep sounds and worshiping God, they were walking towards the temple and they were singing these songs together. So let's recite this side, okay? You are quiet right now. So, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech, night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words. No sun is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. You may be seated. That's the song of creation. Would you please stand here and read with me the other song. This is the song of the law. Let's read together. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord I write, giving joy to the heart. There is great reward. Before you sit down, would you please stand? And then we will read together the last three verses. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth And this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You may be seated. Maybe you heard this verse many times, made a meditation, made a meditation, right? This is a powerful verse, and maybe you heard it uh, so many times. And I think at the end of this morning, I think we should say from now on, Lord, we want the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth to bring glory and pleasure to you." You see, uh, we all go in uh, in nature and uh, one of the things that we and our family like to do is to travel and visit our parents and family back home in Romania. And we were not able to do that for about seven years when we did our papers, but lately we were able to do it and two years ago When we took a vacation back home and we wanted to uh, visit our family, we said, you know, out of the time, let's take about a couple of days and see something else in Europe, in Western Europe. We've never been there before as a family. And we said, let's see something that we've never seen. What can we see, the best thing that we can see in Europe? And we were kind of, we missed the mountains and we said, let's see the, the highest mountain peak in Europe, which was Mont Blanc, which is the White Mountain, basically. So we said, let's go there. And we went there to, uh, basically, we went to Italy, then we crossed into France. And there is this mountain peak called Aiguille de Midi. It's very high, tall mountain. But you can go there with a cable cart. And as you go there, there is another cable cart that starts there. Now, it's a very, very beautiful view there. You know? So from that one to this one is about three miles long. This is called Punta Helbronner. And this is... Very close to Mont Blanc. You can see Mont Blanc from that platform. But you see between these two points, there's this cable cart that goes, about three of them at a time. Three miles long. They say is the longest cable cart in the world. But it's beautiful. You see, you start over there, far, far away. That's Aquid And then you come all the way to the Punta Helbruner. And as you travel in that, you are amazed. Once you get to the Punta Helbruner, you are close and you can see the white mountain, right, Mont Blanc. And there's a platform there, very high, very high. It was so high that I got really sleepy. And I just said to everybody, I said, I just need to take a nap, you know, because it was, the air was verified, you know. My wife, though, she was very strong. She said, oh, I don't feel anything. I just, me and my son, the two of us, we were like, oh, you know, we just need to lay down a little bit, you know. But it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place. And no matter which way you see, if you look right west, north, south, there are only mountains. You are in the heart of the Alps. And right there, there's, there's maybe just the snow and the mountains and some crazy climbers. You see them like there, the small ones. And they climb, and they try to have a different kind of experience. But you, as a tourist that is not a climber, it's a beautiful, it's a blessing to be there. Look at these climbers right there as you travel with that. It's about 40 minutes right in those cable carts. So you have time to enjoy God's beautiful nature. And you almost feel, I mean, I felt there when I was there that I shouldn't be there. That is too beautiful. That is so hard to even be there. I was thinking, what if these cables break, right? And you fall down like hundreds and hundreds of yards down. But it was awesome. It was awesome. And no matter where you looked, you saw God's beautiful splendor and creation. And there was nothing like it before. And all of us, I asked them this past week, I said, If you were to say, where, where did you felt that it was the best place where you saw God's splendor, His majesty? All of my family, all of the other three members of my family, they said, There. When we went on that cable cart ride to see Mont Blanc, we just felt closer to God. And the only thing we could do on that platform was just turn around and worship and thank God. And we said, God, this this is beyond our imagination. We felt so little and yet so blessed. We felt so insignificant and yet so precious. And I'm sure that you had those moments when you were someplace. Maybe you say, for me, it was Lake Michigan. Just, just looking at the lake, the water, is something magnificent too. And I see God in it. Maybe, maybe it's a sunset or a sunrise. And you say, that's how I am blessed. Or maybe you say, no, I don't need that. I just need the wild flowers, the beauty of God's creation. And Jesus says, just look at the lilies, the lilies of the field. They are more dressed and more beautiful dressed than even King Solomon who was the richest and the wisest man on earth. Jesus says not even King Solomon is dressed like a wild lily, like a lily of the field. Look at them, look at them, God says, and be amazed of what I am doing. The whole creation, and that's what Psalm 19 says, the heavens, the creation declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands, what we see in nature—it is the work of God, and the Bible says that is His masterpiece. When you look around, you look at what God painted, what God created. And somebody said, especially on social media, people like to put this, these pictures of the sky, and then they will say, "God did it again," or they would just put a line, "The heavens declare," and then it's a beautiful sky. So the first thing that the psalmist says in the song is God speaks to us through creation. God speaks to us. And you see the name. It says, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. That word God is interesting because it's basically Elohim. It's the translation of the Hebrew Elohim, which is basically a generic name for God. And I like what uh, one of uh, the, the thinkers said, Tim, Tim Keller, he said, it's like saying to somebody... Uh, going to a doctor's office and say, uh, Oh, how are, how are you, doctor? Or to a teacher and say, How are you, teacher? You don't call them by name. You call them by the profession that they have. It's very generic, like saying the great one. The heavens declare the glory of the divine one. Right? It's not very specific. It's not very specific. Because the creation reveals something about a God that is awesome. And I just want you to think of that. The creation reveals a lot about God but in a generic sense let's look at this video and it talks about the creation the beauty of God's creation and the majesty of his creation let's look at look at it together Like in our time, you know, in David's time, David didn't have an easy time because all of the nations around him, all of the nations, they look at creation and they started to worship different gods. The God of the sun, the God of the sea, different gods of fertility. They said, these are our gods. And David had a hard time even understanding why. But even in his time, his own king thought that he can replace God's laws. Saul was a king that broke. And sometimes he will say, no, I don't need a priest. I can bring sacrifices to the Lord. I can be both king and priest. And that's why basically the Lord says, no, no, no. Your heart is not in the right place, King Saul. So David had a hard time even in his own life. And his heart too was full of sin. He was a man after God's heart. And yet his heart was sinful. And he knew that. But if we take only the creation, we often, we often, as human beings, we end up worshiping the creation. And if you think about it, except, except the Christian religion, there is not many other religions that understand well the purpose of creation in our lives. About 100 years ago, there was this social experiment. People say that it was the socialism revolution in Russia, but it swept, you know, all of. And today it's a hundred years since that time, and it's not only socialism. It, was, it wasn't just a socialist experiment; it was basically a secular one, because they took this idea: I believe in the God of the creation. They took the creation, nature, and they said, you know, from now on I believe in Mother Nature. They replace God, and they say we are going to take. Nature as our higher authority. And basically what they said is, we are going to worship man. And the truth is that the dream of the secular society, a society without God, in which nature replaces God, has proven to be a nightmare. A nightmare. I live in that nightmare. I was born in that nightmare. And even today, my country suffers from that nightmare. It's a nightmare that continues because we end up as human beings making our own laws. There's no one better maybe than Friedrich Nietzsche, who once he said this, just to understand what happens when we worship nature, when we put ourselves, this is what he said, there cannot be a God because if there is one, I could not believe that I was not he. Basically, Nietzsche said, if there is a God, it must be me. So because I'm not God, therefore there's no other God. And that was the entire secular experiment. Basically saying there is no God. We will make our own laws in society. We will show you how to live. But then fortunately in this song, Psalm 19, there is another song. The song of nature is not enough to lead us to Christ. To lead us to the church. It doesn't speak about God's kingdom In terms of his church, his people. He doesn't speak of a a savior. So that's why we need the second song. And that's why God speaks to us through the scriptures. And the name, if you look, it changes in the second song. It says, the law of, not of, of God, it says the law of the Lord is perfect. The Lord here is Yahweh. The one that came to Moses in the burning bush and said, I am Moses, make sure that you know you met I am. And go now to Pharaoh and to my people and talk to them on my behalf. It's a personal God that is revealed only to the people that know him and that God knows them. And this is a beautiful song, the second one, right? If you look at it, it's just perfection. And that's why because of this hymn, this song on this, on this wall of God, we call him... We call this psalm a psalm of Torah. And Torah means, uh, uh, the, the basically, the law of the Lord is perfect, right? Torah refers to the five books of the Bible. What we call the books of, the, of Moses, but, you know, like Genesis to Deuteronomy. All those five, we take them as Torah. And there are three psalms in the Psalter among the 150 psalms that we call them and we group them as psalms of Torah. Psalm number one, that's how it starts. And Psalm 119, that's a long psalm. And this one is kind of in the middle. But just look at Psalm 1. It says, blessed. This is how the book of the Psalms starts with this song. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. It's perfect. You know, Psalm 19 says, blessed are those whose ways are blameless. Who walk according to the law of the Lord? It talks about being blessed. Being blessed means absolutely or utterly being in a state of well-being. Having nothing, lacking nothing, like Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I lack nothing. I am blessed. And then Psalm 19 continues, it says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your Word or to the law of God, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. That is the first thing that the law tells us that there is something wrong in our heart. So you can say simply, Well, the law reveals our sin, but basically, the perfect law and the Spirit uses the perfection of God's law to convince us of our imperfections and faults. When the law said you should love your neighbor as yourself because we do not love ourselves. I mean, our neighbors as we love ourselves. That's basically telling us, it points to us that we are not perfect. When the Spirit tells us, I'm going to produce in you the fruits of love, gentleness, kindness. When we are not kind and gentle to one another, it just reminds us. That the law is perfect, and yet we cannot obey it. You see, the, God's intention was always this. God is at the top. This is the structure that he wanted. Then is the law of God, and then human beings. But that's a problem. We have a problem. Human beings, almost like we are, in, in a way, as civilization, we are all e- either toddlers, right? What do the toddlers say? What do we say? The terrible twos, right? They say, don't, you know, don't tell me what to do. Don't touch that. No, I'm going to touch it, right? Or teenagers. What do the teenagers say? Well, I have teenagers. They, they say, don't. Who are you to tell me what to do? Don't tell me what to do. And that's what human beings say to God all the time. And what we do is we basically throw God in the trash. We put our human beings, the huge superheroes. Nietzsche talks about this. Basically, is a survivor of the, the strongest, right, at the top. Then they make their own laws. Like I said in the secular experiment for the past 100 years. And then they put all of the other human beings at the bottom and say, you obey our laws because we have the power. And as you have dictators, and I lived 20 years under one fierce dictator, that's how you have tyrants. That's how you have regimes that abuse, oppress, and create injustice in the world. Because we put human laws we put human beings instead of God. But who can discern their errors? These people, dictators, they think they don't have errors. And the psalm goes on and says, There are some sins that we don't even know. Unknown to us. Because if, if you are sinful, sometimes it's hard to even see that you are sinful. You need the Holy Spirit. One of the thinkers, they said, you know, this is, this is the slogan. One of the philosophers at the time. He said, it's forbidden to forbid. That was his slogan. In other words, it's forbidder to tell me, Thou shalt not. I can do whatever I want. And if there is no God, then everything is permissible. Everything is permissible. The, the law reveals our sin, reveals our rebellion against God, but also reveals that we need a savior, that there is somebody that has to obey God's law on our behalf, and that is Jesus Christ. And there is no other religion that talks about love like Christianity. No other religion that says there was a solution for our rebellious heart. And that solution is in Christ. And we are not saved by our good deeds, but we are saved by good deeds, no, no, no less. And they are the good deeds of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is not only his death that saves us, but also his righteous life. He led a righteous life on our behalf. And that's what the psalmist says. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. Make sure that you forgive me. There is something in me that tells me I cannot measure up to God's law. I need forgiveness. I need the Savior. And the law shows us that we need to please God by obeying the law. It's not to save ourselves, but... To show gratitude to God. This is very interesting. You know, if you think of the law and think of the Heidelberg Catechism. This is a document that we used to have, uh, I mean, for many, many centuries in the Reformed Church. And uh, it's divided in these three things. Guilt, grace, and salvation. What is the law teaching us that we need? That we need forgiveness. That there is salvation in Christ. And finally, we say, is gratitude. That we can live a life of gratitude and service to Christ. And what's interesting is under that section in the catechism is the Ten Commandments. You taught, we thought that the Ten Commandments, the society thinks, oh, that's a, a bad thing that it says, you shall not do No, no, no. In our faith, in our church, we look at the Ten Commandments and God says, no, you shall obey your parents. You shall tell the truth. You shall not commit adultery, means you shall respect one another, respect the person. You shall not bring false testimony it means you shall always tell the truth. Always speak to honor the other person. You see, if you take the law as the moralist will take, you know, the law is like, like for us, will be a legalist. You know, say, you know, and one example is Job's friends. You know, they, they come to, uh, to Job and say, No, Job, uh, the law is perfect and we need to obey the law, but because something is wrong with you, you are sinful, God is now punishing you. So that's the legalist. You know, we hold on to the law and we say, you have to obey the law to the last, to the last uh, detail. So you can say, well, what is this? Well, we just we just obey the law. That's what we do. You don't love the person necessarily. You love the law. Well, then there is another there is another way of looking at the law, and this the relative. They say, you know, every law is relative. You know, it doesn't matter if it's in the Bible or if it's the Quran or if it's in the in the Buddhist books. It's the same. Everybody has the right. To do, And the problem with that is that they say we basically hate God's law, and we have other laws, and we end up in an immoral situation. There's no more morality. There's no more common good. So I think that the Christian, we say, for us, the Christians, sorry, we say we do not need to love the law to the point that we think that God punishes us for, for every detail of the law. We do not need to be a relativist to hate the law to say there is no law but we as Christians we take the law of God and we love the God that gave us the law. That's what Christians do. We become lovers, lovers of God and lovers of one another. That's why we are here. We are called we are called to repent. And if there is anything this morning that we need to learn, that we need to learn is that God wants us to look at his creation and see him as the loving God giving to us. Hope in the midst of hopelessness. And giving to us his law to guide us in a response of our hearts. It is not to save ourselves. The psalmist says, May me think right. May the meditation of my heart, may the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. In the end, the Christian says, Your law is to help me live a life of service when you help somebody who is in need when you pray for somebody who is sick when you bring somebody a card a meal when you go and serve in the nursery you serve god when you fight for justice and peace you serve god not to save yourself but to show that you have god in your heart and that's what we are called this morning to do let us pray Father, we give you thanks that uh, the nature speaks of your glory and your law is perfect. And this morning, we just want to thank you for Jesus who obeyed this law on our behalf. And we give you thanks that you call us to be lovers. That you call us to be people that repent of sins, but also live a life of service to you. What a, what a beautiful call is to see you as the Lord of creation, as the Lord that calls us to live a life of gratitude. May we, in this coming week, serve you by serving one another. Love you by loving one another. And may we see that you call us to live in this love as your disciples until the end when you come. To restore all things. Because we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Stand together as we sing in response this doxology. I'll sing it the first time as we learn it and then join on the second and third time. Praise and glory to the Father. Praise and glory to the Son. Praise and glory to the Spirit. Ever three and ever one. Sing together. Praise and glory to the Father. Praise and glory to the Son. Praise and glory to the Spirit. Ever three and ever one. Praise and glory to the Father. Praise and glory to the Son. Praise and glory to the Spirit, ever three and ever one.
0: As we leave this place, may you remember that the grace of the Father, the love and the embrace of Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of His powerful Holy Spirit goes with you from this place. Amen. You may go in peace.